0: introverts feel like they can express themselves through writing. They can actually say what they want to say, and they can take the time to think things through. Welcome
1: to the Introvert Dear podcast, the show devoted to helping introverts live more peaceful, meaningful lives. We are here to remind you that you don't have to be an extrovert to be happy. Now, here are your hosts, Jen Graneman and Bo Miller.
2: Hello, fellow introverts. On today's show, we'll be talking about writing as an introvert. We'll explore why introverts are drawn to writing, why many excel at it, what obstacles they face, and more. We're excited to welcome Lauren Cipolla to the show to help us dive a bit deeper into this topic. Lauren is an experienced writing coach, and she's also the author of Firefly Magic, heart powered marketing for highly sensitive writers, a guide to help any HSP, INFJ, INFP, or introvert writer move past resistance to selling and marketing their work. She is also the author of The INFJ Writer, a writing guide made specifically for sensitive, intuitive writers. She currently lives in San Francisco and blogs at www.laurensapallo.com. Lauren, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here.
0: Hi, Bo. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor.
2: Our pleasure. How did you find out you were an introvert, and did that knowledge change your life?
0: Well, you know... It's funny you ask that because I feel like I always knew I was an introvert, even if I didn't have a name for it. Um, When I was a young kid, I had a horrible time in school, like in preschool, kindergarten, first grade. I didn't speak later. I actually I just looked those up on the Internet a few weeks ago. And there's a name for this called selective mutism where a child just doesn't speak in school. Um, Back then, I mean, this was like, you know, the early 80s. They just said I was shy. I don't think I spoke until third or fourth grade. And um, then I started talking to the other kids and the teachers, um, but I was very, very, very shy all throughout school. And I knew something was different about me because of that, because it wasn't something I really got over. As I grew up and got into junior high and high school, I got really into acting and I discovered, oh, I can just sort of create this persona, this extroverted persona, and I can use that and that works. But I still knew that something was different because I knew I was using a persona, whereas the other people around me were very natural. They were extroverted in a natural way. Um, It wasn't until I was probably in my early 30s when the whole introvert awareness thing happened on the Internet. And I stumbled across these articles, um, especially about being an INFJ. And then I was like, oh, oh, this is what's going on with me. It's not that I'm just shy or that I'm avoidant um, or that I'm not assertive enough or I'm too sensitive all these things I'd sort of labeled myself as like, I'm too weak and I'm, I'm wrong in some way. It's that I'm introverted and this is a real thing and there's nothing wrong with it.
1: Wow.
2: That must've been a life changing experience to, to learn that about yourself.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, it totally was. It, it really helped me with self care because before that I had pushed myself to do so many things that I was always uncomfortable with. And then I never got over like, Oh, just go to the party you know, just go to the mall, just go to the football game. Everybody's going to the football game. They love it. You should go too. And now I'm like, I am not going to do well at the football game. I'm not going to do well at the mall. And I'm definitely not going to do well at the party. (laughs) And it's not because something's wrong with me. It's because those things drain me. And the recovery time isn't worth it to go to like, you know, a big gala party. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well, then the next day I'm useless. I can't do anything. So is it, is it worth the price? It usually isn't for me.
2: Do you think other people picked up on your extroverted persona or was it just you that felt it inside and, and couldn't sit with it quite right?
0: Uh, my very, very close friends, because I always had a circle of like two or three very close friends. They knew they were like, Oh yeah, Lauren actually isn't that extroverted or she, she's doing that because she needs to be on, you know, we're in front of people and then I would be different with them. Um, and I, I, dare say, they liked me better the way I really was. They liked that I was this great listener and that I let them talk and that I was very empathetic and very compassionate. Um, the jokey, like, storyteller performer, they were like, well, I, you know, that's part of you, but that's not really the real you. Uh, so, yeah, the very close friends. Everyone else, they would be shocked when I'd say, oh, I'm actually, you know, in later years even sometimes I use the persona. People say, you're an introvert? I'm like, yeah, I've just really learned how to get along in an extroverted world pretty well. So
1: Lauren, I've always been a writer. I think like many introverts, even before I could actually handwrite things, like before I could spell out words, I would ask my mom to write down the stories that I dictated to her. And then all throughout my childhood, and obviously now, even as an adult, I've been drawn to writing. So I'm wondering if you can talk to us about why you think introverts tend to be drawn to writing and if they have some gifts that enable them to excel at it.
0: Well, I think there are a few different things going on. Um, number one might be the most obvious is that introverts take a longer time to process things. Uh, so for me, for instance, I've worked in offices for years and frequently all uh, the coworker come up to me and say, Hey, this thing just happened. And this other thing, and what do you think? And I'm like, you're in the headlights. I'm just like, "Uh, uh, uh you know, um, and my coworkers are like, yeah, my coworkers are like, Well, wow, Lauren's kind of slow or like, I don't know what's going on with her. You know, like it's almost like they kind of think I'm a little stupid. Um, But then like the next day or even three days later, I'm like, Hey, you remember when you said that thing about that thing? Well, I think this is going to happen. And then I'll unroll this whole like tapestry of future forecasting (laughs) that I've come up with. Um, But I need, I need like a few days sometimes. And when I get an email, it's much easier for me because I can read the email And then shut it down and take a while to think about it. And I can go for a walk or I can just sit with it. And then the pieces start coming together. And then I think, oh, yeah, I want to tell this person this, but it's going to come across best if I use this sort of tone. And I don't think they've thought about this other thing I should bring up. On the spot, I can't do that. I've never been good on my feet in that way. So I think most introverts feel like they can express themselves through writing. They can actually say what they want to say, and they can take the time to think things through. And then, of course, you can read it over, and you can make sure, did I really say what I wanted to say? Um, The other thing about writing is that most writing, it's very pattern-focused. If you're writing fiction, if you're writing essays, there's a pattern. And introverts are very, very good at seeking out and finding the pattern. So a lot of times they can use um, imaginative language or metaphor. They can use a sort of visceral language. They can tie it all together and they can say, this is like this because it's like this other thing. Whereas when you're talking, it's really difficult to bring all of those pieces together in a conversation. It, with story, you can sort of plan it out. And again, you can read it over and say, oh, I missed that part of it. I'm going to bring this in. So there's a lot more time. You have that time piece. I think that's what introverts really need. And we live in a very fast-paced world that doesn't give you that time piece a lot of the time.
2: Do you have to find a certain time of the day when you're writing to typically give you that chunk of time to focus? Is there a time that you do best at?
0: Well, you know, um, I started writing about seriously about 12 years ago. And at that time, I could... I've had huge problems motivating myself to write. So I would go to a writing group once a week and I thought I have to be in this writing group and I have to be in this quiet room and I have to be evening and I need at least an hour. Like I had all of these things that I, I needed before I could write. Uh, now I'm so busy and I've been writing for so many years. I'm like, give me 15 minutes, like give me 15 minutes in an elevator with a cocktail napkin and a pen. And I'm okay. <laughs> you know, I, can, like, <laughs> I can just sort of shut everything out and be like, okay, this is what I got. I just got to work with it. Um, So I don't really have like a way that I need to focus now. I can just do it on the fly. But that took a lot of years of
2: practice. Mm. So what are some of the potential obstacles introverts face when it comes to writing?
0: Well, I think the main thing is showing anyone else their work. Um, And this is kind of, I have kind of a controversial stance in the writing world because the writing world, especially online, the scene is very critique focused. Um, And that's really what like a lot of MFA programs are based around that. You know, you write a story and then it's critiqued and to be a writer, you grow that thick skin because they're going to tear your story apart. And if you want to be a real writer, then you need to love that. You need to embrace that and be like, yeah, give me the truth, the brutal, harsh, horrible truth, you know, tear me apart so I can rebuild it. It's like, that's sort of like really in right now. Um, And I think a lot of beta readers and editors have absorbed that. So they think, well, when I look at a piece, I need to look, I need to zero in on what's wrong and I need to pick it apart. And that's very hard for introverts um, because our writing means so much to us. It's, we're not, I mean, there are writers out there that are like, yeah, I looked at the categories on Amazon. This is really what's selling. People need weight loss books. So I'm going to write a weight loss book, you know, and then they just bang it out and then that's what they do. They're like, and I'm going to make a profit and that's great. A lot of introverts, don't start from that intention. When, uh, whatever they're writing means something to them. It's personal experience. Um, they're trying to help other people. It's a story that's very close to their heart. That kind of stuff, when you show it to someone and they immediately zero in on, oh, well, this is wrong and this is wrong, that really can shut an introvert down. I mean, to the point where, and then they withdraw because that's one of our defense mechanisms. So a lot of introvert writers will withdraw for years. And then they're like, I never wrote again, you know, or I stopped writing for five years or I write things, but I put them in a drawer and no one ever sees them. Um, So that's probably the number one thing is showing anyone else our work. Um, And that's such an interesting
2: point. I've talked to several writers who would say, you know, I, I always wanted to write. And then I had this teacher or this person in my life who said, you know what? You should look for some other kind of work, even though it was a passion of theirs. So they set it on the shelf until they just couldn't take it up. Take it any longer, and they finally got back into it and disregarded what the person said. Is that a common pattern you see with a lot of writers? With introvert oh, writers? Yeah. I mean,
0: as a writing coach, all my clients come to me and, and they need healing. Like, that's the number one thing I see is that they are in need of healing because someone shut them down in the past. And it usually is a critical teacher or a mentor, sometimes a parent, you know, or sometimes even just a friend. Mm. Um, And I think that's the other thing is when you're a writer, when you're an inexperienced writer, you don't understand that 90% of the feedback people are giving you is just opinion. It's Mm -hmm. really just their opinion. It's like, well, I didn't like the ending Mm -hmm. or I didn't like the protagonist. That's very different. Saying I didn't like the ending is a very different thing from saying I don't feel like the ending is working. I see what you're going for and and it's not yet working, but you can make it work. Here's what we could do. You know, and there's not a lot of people out there who have that experience to even have that eye to look at someone's manuscript and make that, that sort of, mm. you know, discernment. Yeah. Um, but when you're a newbie writer, like you don't know any of that. You just give your book to right. someone and they're like, oh, I didn't really like the ending. I hated it. And you're like, oh, I just should quit. <laughs> I should just give up. That's it. So well, I think that's, that's very, very hard for introvert writers.
2: That's such a good point. I mean, that was my own experience where I loved writing. But I thought, I can't, I can't get paid to do this, or I shouldn't do this. Um, so I put it on the shelf, even though I'd gotten some good feedback. Some other people I'd talked to said, uh, you, can't, you can't do this. So I, I just set it aside. Um, but the people are saying that. That was just their opinion, like you said. In fact, I just went through a book recently called uh, entitled Rejection Proof by Shang, Zha just you know for that same idea. And, and one of the ideas he purports is that sometimes we just need to go and ask people, why, why do you, why did you say that? Or, you know, where are you coming from? And a lot of times they'll tell you it's, it's their opinion. They're not giving you a, a final critique on the work. So I wonder if we just dug a little deeper, or even maybe ignored people, if that would be a help in moving forward.
0: Well, you know, something that, that is helpful that I do when I get a bad review on one of my books, um, I'll look up a very famous book that I love, like Jack Kerouac's On the Road, which changed the face of a generation you know won all sorts of awards it's like we you know in the top 100 books of the century if you read the reviews on amazon like half the people are like this is garbage <laughs> i hated it you know and you're like wow okay it really is opinion based and you can do that with any great book any great book that you're like everyone loves this book it's a classic 100 percent. look at the reviews there's a lot of people that hated it
1: <gasps> okay can i just jump in here and say i'm so glad to hear it that I'm not the only one who does that.
0: <laughs> when my book. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs>
1: It's just it's so nice to hear that. I thought I was a little uh, bizarre for doing that. When my book, The Secret Lives of Introverts, came out, it got some great reviews, but it also got some negative ones, uh, you know, as, as is to be expected. And I found myself wanting to look up other more famous books than minor classic books that I really enjoyed or that I thought were great. And reading the reviews, the bad reviews that they got too, it kind of made me feel better. Like, okay, all right. It's just, like you said, it's an opinion. And it's not always necessarily... Uh, an objective fact.
0: Exactly. It's really helpful to do that. It's something I employ all the time.
2: Mm, that's so good. I like to just thinking about the numbers. I'm not really by nature's numbers, by nature. I mean, I'm not even talking right <laughs> by nature, a numbers person.
1: Uh, apparently,
2: I'm not a language person either. But, um, this just, is why
1: you write, Bo. This
2: is why I write, where I can filter things, right? <laughs> but when I'm when I think, you know, statistically, all right, there's just going to, it's like sales. Like when you're going to try to make us like, you know, the, another terrible analogy because introverts most don't love sale uh, selling things. But, um, when you're in sales, you just have to make a certain number of pitches before you, you get something to go through. And and when you write something like in a, a certain like sample group, a percentage, like you guys are saying, is just not going to like it. So just that knowledge alone and, and seeing, like you've said, other great writers getting bad critique back too can be so encouraging.
1: You know, and I don't think every introvert struggles with this. My partner is also a writer and he's also an introvert and he gets good and bad reviews. But you know, to me on the outside, it doesn't seem like he gets as hurt by some of the reviews that he gets. So I don't know. He's, he's well, if we're going to get into personality type, he's an INTJ personality Um, and, and definitely not a highly sensitive person. So Lauren, I don't know if you can speak to that. Is this kind of an overlap between being an introvert and a highly sensitive person or an introvert and a certain personality type, uh, the kind of person who does take that criticism a lot more to heart?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, and that is getting into personality type, you know, but the INFJs, the INFPs, the ISFPs, I would even say the ENFJs and the ENFPs, which are extroverts, but the intuitive feelers are the people who are really sensitive to that that criticism. My husband's an INTJ and he has a very thick skin. I mean, and that's, that's almost his thing. Where if someone doesn't like his stuff, he's like, yeah, that's fine. I just, I know never to talk to them again. Like he will just cut people out like that. Mm -hmm. And you don't, never look back. He's like, yeah, they're a waste of my time, whatever, moving on. Like he's very efficient. And I think the ISTPs, the INTJs, the INTPs, they have that, um, very like almost ruthless quality of like I don't have time to waste on this I have problems to solve moving on so they don't have that emotional piece whereas the intuitive feelers we're the ones we're so people connected where we're like well why didn't they like my thing did I do something wrong was I not as sensitive as I should have been about a certain issue could I have written it better like we're just full of questions and self-doubt so we really tend to spiral out I think a lot uh, more severely than any of the other types. And like I said, I would put the ENFPs and the ENFJs in there too, because they're very sensitive to criticism as well.
2: Are there, getting back to the original question, are there any other obstacles that come to your mind? Cause I cut you off that introverts face when it comes to writing.
0: Well, you know, the other thing I think is that introverts have a lot of assumptions about what they're going to have to do once they have a finished piece of writing like, well, once I finish it, then I'm going to have to submit it somewhere, you know, or I'm going to have to market it in some way. I'm going to have to publish it. Maybe I'm going to have to talk to agents. Maybe I'm going to have to write query letters. What does that mean? Do I have to go to conferences or talk to strangers? Like it just opens up this can of worms of I'm going to have to put this thing out to me, you know, out that means a lot to me and I'm going to feel very exposed. And I'm a person usually who has grown up uh, feeling, maybe sort of bookish, shy, eccentric, awkward, socially awkward. Um, I'm used to hiding. That's my safe place. I kind of hide from the world. I fly under the radar. Well, what happens when I have a finished piece of writing? Then I'm going to have to just like say who I am loud and proud. Like, what does that mean? So I think a lot of those assumptions block introverts too. Even subconsciously, even if they're like, oh, I'm not thinking that far ahead. I think some part of their brain is thinking that far ahead.
1: So how can an introvert overcome that, I don't want to call it a fear, but that desire to keep something that's very personal and important to them to keep it private?
0: Well, a lot of the advice out there, and I just, I just really hate this because I've gotten so much of it in my life. It's like, be more assertive, you know, Mm -hmm. move out of your comfort zone, make it your goal to talk to three new people this week. And it's like, no, I'm not going to do any of that. That just sounds awful. That's not for me. Um, I think really what's most effective is concentrating on the service piece because a lot of introverts, especially the intuitive feelers, are writing in order to be of service to the world. So they're not usually just, you know, writing a suspense thriller about spies and, you know, government agents just for entertainment. Sometimes they are. But a lot of times they're writing about, um, they're writing like YA fantasy, where the protagonist is really trying to find their place in the world. Or they're writing essays about what it's like to have an eating disorder, you know, or they're writing about social justice causes. Like they're writing about something in order to move the human race forward in Mm -hmm. some way, even if it's a very small way. And I think if they realize, hey, if what you're writing stays locked up in the desk drawer, no one's ever going to see it and no one's ever going to move forward. So all those people out there right now who are struggling to find their place and their identity or struggling with an eating disorder or struggling with social justice causes, like they're not going to be able to benefit from it. And that's not really fair. You were given this gift in order to be of service to the world. Mm. So you got to get it out there. Uncomfortable or not, you know, you just got to get it out there.
2: I love that. I also like what you have to say about integrity in your new book, Firefly Magic. I think you have some good advice there.
0: Yeah, you know, that book was born out of so many experiences with my clients because all my clients are almost exclusively INFJ and INFP. And they're all writing these beautiful manuscripts that, I mean, I just read them and I'm like in tears and I'm laughing and I'm just blown away. And I'm like, this is this is really going to move the world forward. And they're like, oh, but I'm going to have to market it. So like, I don't think I'll ever do that. <laughs> you know, they're just like, mm-hmm. no, you they hear the word marketing and they're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that ever. So it's going to go in the desk drawer, you know? And that's where I'm like, well, what if we marketed it in this way? Like, what if you didn't have to market like an, like an extrovert? And I'm not trying to say extrovert, like it's a bad word, but, um, I work with a lot of salespeople who are like, yeah, just get on the phone, call people. You make 50 calls in an hour. That's what you do. You know, just move through them you got a list and that's never going to work for an introvert. Um, So I say, like in the book, I talk about finding the very small cluster of people that you authentically connect with, the people on Twitter, the people on Facebook that you actually like, Um, the blogs that actually bring help into your life, you know, seeing if you could write a guest article for them, like doing small things that are intuition based, and that really, really um, settle up with the way you feel about your own integrity in your heart. And I think when introverts look at marketing in that way, it feels a lot different. It emotionally feels different.
1: Yeah, I'll admit that when my book came out, the marketing part was the hardest part for me. It was easy to just sit for months and research and write in total solitude. And it was exciting to think about the book being published and being put out in the world. Uh, Although although it's scary, too, uh, because it puts puts you in a vulnerable position. Uh, But then when I had to come to market it, it was, again, easy to sit behind my computer screen and post things on Facebook or do guest posts. But every once in a while, a situation would come up where I had to give an interview or I was asked to go speak somewhere at a convention or a book club or something like that. And that was absolutely terrifying to me. So, do you have any advice for introverts who might find themselves in that situation? I'm uh, just asking for a friend. I swear.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh,
1: but what should an introvert do if they find themselves in that position?
0: Um, well, you know, it's funny. I have a chapter on this in my book called "Like How You Feel About Marketing Equals How You Feel About Money." And a lot of people are like, "What? How do those two things go together? What are you talking about?" Um, but I struggled with money for many, many years, and I struggled with marketing. And I think when we're faced with these issues, our first reflex is sort of like, let me jump on the internet. I'm going to like Google stuff and I'm just going to read all of these articles, but I'm not going to really sit in depth through that. I'm just going to like skim a bunch of blog posts, you know? So we sort of get this concentrated dose of energy. And if you do that about money or you do that about marketing, you tend to get the, the sort of same tone, the same energy, which is like this dry, rational system of knowledge. Like this is how you save money. This is how you invest money. This is how you market a book. This is how you sell yourself, you know. And there's this checklist, and it's all very like ordered and rational, um, but it doesn't change the way we emotionally feel about the topic. And that's actually what's holding us back. Like, I didn't need anyone to tell me to spend less and save more. I needed someone to work with me on the way I emotionally felt about money. Same thing with marketing. I don't need someone to say. Yeah, you know, make sure your social media accounts look great, and do like I need someone to say, but how do you feel about it, and why do you feel that way, and could you feel a different way? Is it possible? Could you shift the way you feel? That's where it really gets kind of sticky for people. Um, so if someone is like, "Wow, I know I have this book, I know I need to market it, but the whole thought feels intimidating and scary," I would urge them to go within and really examine. Why am I scared? What, am, what are the thoughts I'm hearing in my head? When I think about marketing, what are the images I'm seeing? What are the thoughts I'm hearing? Whose voice is that? Is that my uncle's voice saying I'll never succeed? Oh, that's interesting. Huh. Is that accurate anymore? Hmm, maybe I could like put Uncle Joe in, you know back in the filing cabinet. He doesn't really need to be here right now. Doing that kind of inner work is probably going to be the most helpful. It's also going to be the hardest because you're going to be questioning all your beliefs. Um, your ego is not going to be able to be on autopilot. You know, you, you can't just say, well, that's the way it is, because of course everyone knows that's the way it is. You're 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 figuring things out for yourself. And that's a lot harder. And then once you started to do that work, then I would say, get off the internet, actually go to the library and go through the business shelves and go through the marketing shelves and pick a few books and sit and quietly read them and give them your full attention and time instead of scheming this and this and this and getting this overload. Just slow down and take in things piece by piece. If that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's, that's a great. Advice.
2: That's great too. And I like what you said about the the inner work. I was just thinking, um, going back to like overcoming the obstacle of wanting to write in the first place. I think just thinking about you know the end too, and wondering, do I really want to ask the question when I when my life is over? What if I don't want to go too deep, but, you know, just thinking long term and and stopping and saying, do I want to say what if, uh, you know, at the end, what if I would have written or do I want to go for it and try it or or marketing or whatever? Like, do I want to try to put it out there and see what happened or do I just want to sit and always ask that question? What if? And I think ultimately I was like, I can't I just can't sit with that. I, I, I have to throw something out there and see what happens.
0: Definitely. I don't think anyone's on their deathbed and they're like, I was a number one Amazon bestseller. You know, I was on the New York Times bestseller list. Maybe they do, but I think more they're like, I wrote my book. I published my book. Mm. You know, I was brave enough to put my book out there. That's what we really will hold on to when it's all said and done.
2: Yeah, that's great. What are some of the ways an introvert can go pro as a writer? In other words, do you have to get a book contracts with publishers or are there other ways?
0: Well, you know, that's something I work on with my clients, um, because I always say, like, right now, we're in the middle of a revolution, the self publishing world, it's a revolution. It has changed everything. Um, And there are a lot of writers that are still really like, I have to get an agent, I have to get a book contract, I have to go through one of the big five publishers. Um, It's absolutely not true. You don't have to do that. If that's what you really honestly want to do, great, you can do that. But you don't have to. It's not the only way. You can self-publish. You can go through a hybrid publisher. Um, you can publish, you know, in serial form on your blog. You can do absolutely anything you want, and and still be going pro. Um, going pro is just it's just learning. It's just putting the best piece of yourself out there that you possibly can, in whatever form that might be. Um, I think a lot of writers who say, well, I have to have an agent, or I I can't get ahead they're still struggling with like an approval issue. They're waiting for someone to say, yes, we've approved your writing. You're a good writer. Mm -hmm. We're professionals. We're experts and we can say you're a good writer. You deserve to be here. Um, And again, that's fine. Some people might be like, you know what though? That's my thing. I'm working on that approval issue and that's what I really want. I want that seal of approval. Okay, cool. That's their journey. You know, that's their trip. Um, But you might also say, huh, that's interesting. Like, I know I'm like struggling with this approval thing and I don't think it's really helping me. I'm kind of holding myself back. I could have published my stuff five years ago, but I've been hanging out trying to get a bite from agents and I'm really holding myself back and I don't need to. So again, it's going inwards and, and whatever you find there, you don't need to judge it. You know, you might feel like, wow, I'm desperate for approval. And then like on the heels of that is like, because I suck, you know, and then we start like whipping ourselves for that. Like, I, do, I you know, I got to get over this approval spiral. thing. Yeah, it's like, no, you can go inside and be like, wow, I'm really desperate from approval. Okay, that's interesting, huh? Well, maybe that came from my mom. Yeah, I could see that. Okay, well, that's interesting. A lot of other people struggle with it too. Cool. Now I know that, you know, well, what can I do with it now? So you can just kind of be um, in a non-judgmental place about it, in a neutral place. You can always shift back into neutral and then say, okay, well, then what is best for me at this time? Like I had, you know, I'm a unique individual. I have these limitations. I have these hopes and dreams. I have this reality. What's best for me at this time? What feels best? I always go back to that. Like what feels best to you? You know, it's best for you. Your inner signals will always tell you what's best for you. If you're like, yeah, an agent and a traditional publisher is best for me. I know that I've looked inside. I know that. Then that's what's best for you. You know, keep hanging in there. If instead you look inside and you're like, no, I'm, I'm waiting around for no reason. It's not best for me to wait any longer. Then you should go with that. But it's going to be different for every person. It's a highly personal, highly personal choice is what I always tell my clients and all my writers.
2: So if you're doing this inner work, which I think is great advice and we're talking a lot about, what would be a good place to start? I mean, do you need someone who will listen to you, someone you can talk to? Do you need a journal? Should you go for a walk? Should you take a a two-week vacation and reflect? Like what's the best way to attack this in your opinion?
0: Well, you know, you don't have to do anything special. That's the thing. I think in our culture we always say, if I'm going to get spiritual, like I need to go on a retreat. You know, I need to like take two weeks and go to a cabin in the woods or I need to go meditate with the Zen yoga folks and the Dalai Lama. Like you don't need to do any of that. You can, but you don't need to. You can just live your life. But just observe, just really notice yourself and how you make your choices and notice how much of the time you make a choice on autopilot, because it seems like that's what everyone else does. You know what I mean? So you're at the office and, you know, you you put in a lunch order and everyone orders coffee with their lunch. And so you do too. But then one day you're like, wow, you know, I don't really like coffee. I don't really seem to react well to the caffeine. I don't like the taste of it. I've been ordering coffee every day because everyone else does. And I'm a little bit nervous about what if I go against the crowd? What if I don't order coffee and someone comments on it and they think I'm weird? You know, that kind of stuff. We're like, why am I making this choice? Am I making this choice because I want to make this choice and because I've looked inside and I feel and I know this is right for me at this time? Or is it because everyone else around me is making it and I don't want to be singled out or I'm scared of what they might say, or my parents always made that choice. So I grew up making that choice and I don't even question it anymore. That's gonna be the hard work. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, there will be little things like the coffee, but there will be very big things too that come out of the closet where you're like, wow, okay, I never even wanted to be an accountant. I never even wanted to go to the college I went to. Oh my gosh, like, you know, everything's just <laughs> sky falling. So it can lead to great things.
1: Personally, I have a hard time finding time to write. I run Introvert Deer as my quote-unquote day job, and obviously I do a lot of writing and editing for that. But I've always wanted to do more creative writing. In fact, I have a degree in creative writing, and I've taken many uh, classes even as an adult uh, about creative writing. But I find that it's really hard to just find the time in my schedule to sit down and sort of detach my brain from that achievement-oriented state of checking things off my to-do list and let it go down a different path of being more creative and more open-ended and seeing where my imagination leads me. So I guess it's a two-part question. How does one find time to do that kind of writing that they want when they have a day job? And then how do you get out of that to-do list mindset and into the creative mindset?
0: Mm, Okay, well, Let's see. Let's start with the first part finding time to write. Um, so, the thing is, I think a lot of people say, well, I, if I find time to write, I need to find this time slot that everyone's on board with. So, that means if I pick Thursday mornings to write, my husband's going to feel great about that. My kids are going to totally respect that. No one's going to text me during that time. It's just going to be this cordoned <laughs> off area. And it's not like that. Like, it's just not my like that's that. Moving, you you, know what I mean? yeah exactly like my cat's gonna stop me out at the door you know like everyone's just gonna get on board with it if as long as i'm clear as long as i explain what i want you know i'm asking to have my needs met right yeah and it never works that way you always get like the disappointed look from your spouse you know or your kid like starts crying or like your boss needs something yesterday so it's weird but like you kind of have to have this attitude of like thursday mornings are mine screw all of you like I just don't care. Like, I'm sorry for for these three hours, I'm completely non caring about anyone else's needs. Unless someone's dying, I don't care what you're going through. But that's I don't hard care to if you're do. disappointed. You, you Is that hard to do? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it gets easier. Um, but I do. I'll have these like mornings or afternoons where I just hide out, you know, and I just I turn off the phone. Like I will give like my spouse a heads up. Like hey, I'm going to go offline for a couple hours or I'm not going to be checking my phone. Like, I don't just say, you know, without warning. Um, but I, I do. I just shut down the computer. I handwrite everything. And I'm like, okay, the phone's in a box in the drawer. The computer shut down. And that's it. Like, no one has access to me. And people will be disappointed and have reactions about it. Like, well, I emailed you an hour ago. I expected a response back. And you can just say, yeah, really sorry. I didn't see it. You know, I like that's all there. I'm, I'm sorry, you're, you're disappointed, but you're going to have your reaction. And it, a lot of people will get trained if you do at the same time every week, especially a lot of your friends. will be like, Oh, yeah, she's not going to answer me because she's she's offline. Um, so you can like you can always give people a heads up and say, like, yeah, Thursday mornings, I'm not available. That's non-negotiable. I'm just not available. Nice. People will still try to break through that. Because whenever you put up a fence, you know, you put up a boundary. It's like everyone shows up. The raccoons are trying to climb over the fence suddenly. And you're like, what's going on? Because <laughs> you put that boundary in place. People, like, sense it. And they're like, there's a boundary. I'm going to push on it. Build How it. There is this come. fence anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you'll you'll get that. And after a while, people lose interest in the fence. And you're like, yeah, I don't know. I guess there's a fence there. It sh- seems to show up every Thursday morning. Whatever. We're over it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But you have to have that attitude for that three hours of, like, yeah, sorry. Like, Everyone just, you know, screw everyone else. Like I can't, I can't make anyone happy right now because I have to focus on this thing. This is the most important thing. Um, And then the second part where you said the to-do list. So I really, really always urge the use of music for my clients. I can't stress how important it is to really use music to shift out of the everyday world and into the inner mind space. And it can be any music. It doesn't have to be tranquil meditative music it could be like if acdc does that for you cool it could be anything but as long as you just sort of lay or sit and you're comfortable and you just let some music play and you just let yourself get lost in it you know you're not trying to push anything you don't have you're not checking the time you're just getting lost in the music and then when you feel like you have sort of soaked up enough you can turn it off and start writing or if you you can leave it on too if you you know some people want to write along to music but a lot of people don't that's fine too but music will really take you out of the intellectual center of yourself and put you more into the emotional center of yourself
2: I love that advice and just going back to what you said before about you know prioritizing that time and doing it even when other people are pulling against you another perspective that I think helps me is to stop and think okay what are my gifts and how have I been wired like you said earlier to serve humanity it's wise stewardship on my behalf to make time for this, because this is one of the big, you know, the greatest contributions that I can make to society at large. So I need to steward this well, and it's wise of me to do this. And then, like you said, everyone else is going to get acclimated, adjust, and habituate accordingly, but we might just need to help them along in that process. So I, I don't know. That's just an additional way of looking at it, too, that I've kind of benefited from.
0: Yeah, I think it really depends on the introvert. Um, when I was younger, I was really much more of a people pleaser. So the people around me were acclimated to me dropping everything, you know, at the drop of a hat and just like, okay, I'll do this thing. Now as I've gotten older and I've put more, you know, firmer boundaries in place, it's, it's easier to say no. But I think a lot of introverts really struggle with saying no and drawing the boundary.
2: Mm. Yeah, that, You know,
0: a lot of introverts have grown up as like the fixer in their family
2: yeah that's a great point, and it takes time to to get past that to even get to that point too i
0: I had a question Definitely.
2: I had a question just about you know personal stories because I think you guys both uh you, Lauren and you too, Jen, have great stories of starting out with writing and then progressing. I just wanted to hear I think it'd be cool for I want to hear it, but I think the listener would like to hear it too kind of how you got started writing and how it progressed from there would yeah, Lauren, could you start and kind of tell us a little bit about your story?
0: Well, let's see. I mean, I wrote from the time I was a child and then I had a really dysfunctional, messed up childhood. Um, And I ended up living alone when I was 16 until I went away to college. And I was in bad relationships, so I'd stopped writing during that time. Um, And then I tried to start writing again in college when I was in a creative writing class. And the end of the semester my professor as you were talking about those mentors and teachers who shut us down uh she pulled me aside and she was like yeah I don't think you should write anymore like I think you should just give it up you're not very good and I asked her like well really I mean don't you think I could get any better like what if I practice is it like sort of practicing the piano and she's like no I don't I don't think it's going to happen for you you're just not very good so I stopped writing for seven years after that um And then I became a crazy alcoholic in that time. And, you know, I would sort of like I'd be drunk in writing, but like it wasn't very good. And I'd wake up the next morning hungover and be like, oh, that was you know awful and sort of throw it away. So it wasn't really writing. And then I got sober in 2006 and I joined a writing program. And that's when I really started writing again. And that program was that you meet once a week, you write silently for an hour every week. That's it. That really worked for me. And that's where I wrote my first book. Um, And after I left that program, I started my own based on the same principles of, okay, we meet once a week. We write silently for one hour. You don't have to share anything. There's no critique. You just write, get your writing done. And I used that, let's say I ran that group for six years and I wrote like my next two books in it. So by that time I I was on a roll and I was like, oh, I can do this. Like I, I can actually write. I don't have to be scared of this thing it was a long, rocky journey. Um, you know, like now I'm like, oh yeah, I can meet in an elevator with a cocktail nap and Like that took a long time for me to get to that point, you know, like 12 years um, of a really difficult journey.
2: But that writing group, that program was really instrumental in helping you take those steps forward?
0: Oh yeah, without it, without that first writing program, I don't, I don't know if I would have been able to do it um, because it was so supportive and it was all people who were struggling like me. I mean, it was based on like AA where we went around in a circle and we said, hi, my name's Lauren. I'm a recovering writer, you know, which means like I had a bad experience with writing and I'm here because I want to start writing again. And everyone else in the group had similar stories. So that was really, really helpful to have that supportive network of people.
2: I love that. And that reminds me, I don't know if you guys, if you're familiar with Jeff Goins or not, but, um, or even you who are listening, but uh, he encourages people just to make the the, the mindset shift. And start to say, I am a writer, like you don't have to have really published a lot, but just by writing on a consistent basis and on a regular basis, you start to think that way about yourself and you have this confidence or this this change of thinking that can really be beneficial in moving forward too.
0: Oh, definitely. That's hard for people to do to say, I'm a writer. So I think if you can start saying that to people, it, it helps you move into that identity.
2: Jen, how about you? What What about you? How did you get started with writing?
1: Bo, I was just about to ask you the same thing. um, (laughs) I beat you to (laughs) it. (laughs) Uh, Well, I've always wanted to write ever since I was a kid. I would write stories, and I don't know, it was just something I always enjoyed doing. I got a degree in writing. I worked as a newspaper editor for a few years. I got into marketing, and later got into teaching, and then. I just realized that writing was still tugging on my heart. I still hadn't done what I'd wanted to do or accomplished what I wanted to accomplish when it came to writing. And for a lot of my life, I had no idea what I wanted to write about. I had story ideas, but I don't know, a lot of those just didn't go anywhere. When I discovered my introversion and started writing about that, I found I felt like I found something that I really wanted to write about because not only could I get to use my you know, my, my writing abilities and do something in an introverted way. But it was also something I really cared about. It was a cause I was really passionate about. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's maybe my INFJ personality or highly sensitive person personality entwined with being an introvert. But I've always wanted to do something that I thought would help people and make an impact on the world and help people live better lives. So writing about introversion felt like the perfect mix of those things.
2: Oh, well, That's awesome.
1: So, Bo, what's your writing story? You have two books out, I believe, and you also have an INFJ website, so you do a lot of writing, too.
2: Yeah, I, I really like to write, too, and I I guess I have a similar theme to you, Jen, in that I, and to you, Lauren, as well. I always enjoyed writing, too, in school and got good feedback. I remember writing a poem when I was in, like, second grade and hearing a teacher say, oh, this is like a fourth grade poem or something. I just always played with words, still do it in my head all the time, and I'm always making up. Uh, somewhat terrible puns as you too have borne witness to unfortunately <laughs> and you are listening might you're probably this gonna is the hear cross it eventually I have to bear this is the cross I have to bear. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah. laughs> That's great. Um but just always enjoyed playing words, couldn't get them out of my head. And um, I just even remember like in college my favorite part was going into the book stacks and like reading about these different subjects and then writing the papers on them. I mean it was work, but I enjoyed it. It was fun learning and it was fun. Putting it in words that that could help people, but um, I had a very practical father, which was a great benefit to me in a lot of ways. He's an awesome dad, but he always encouraged me to to get uh, you know a job that kind of had a clear path, and that's a real reason why I went into teaching. I came from a family of teachers, and again, I wanted to help people too. Um, so that's what I've been doing for a while. Uh, but I'd say about like four or five years ago, I was wondering if there wouldn't be you know maybe even a better fit for my gifts. And I, I just couldn't shake the idea that I wanted to continue to write. Um, so that led to reading about different ways to get involved. And someone told me about blogging and I thought, yeah, blogging. But I eventually came back around to it and started blogging. But same thing, Jen, I wasn't really sure what to write about. So um, I asked people, hey, what am I good at? And started writing about like people skills. And then I just couldn't stop like coming back to personality web pages and learning about introverts and other aspects of, of personality type. And one thing led to another, and I've mainly been writing for INFJs in the past year and really enjoying that. So this has been an awesome discussion in a lot of ways, but I have to get into this next question and ask you, Lauren, in your opinion, what's the most important thing our listener should take away from today's show?
0: You know, I think the most important thing is to listen to your own inner signals, um, and I know there's a lot of talk about, like, listen to your own personal truths, listen to who you are and your intuition. And a lot of times people are like, well, that's great, but I don't know what that sounds like when it shows up. Um, and I say inner signals because a lot of times your body will tell you something. Your emotions will tell you something. So much of the time we discount our bodies or we discount our emotions, you know. So like, like I said, you know, if everyone's ordering coffee and you don't like coffee, your stomach might twinge. You know, you might get a little, Ooh, I don't that doesn't sound good to me. But then you override that because you always override it because it's, everyone else drinks coffee. You should, too. But if you stop and pause and you're like, wait, why did my stomach twinge? Why did I have that little bit of recoil? That's an inner signal. So, you know, if you notice like, oh, I, I noticed the headache coming on. I noticed that my breathing has sort of become more rapid. I notice that I feel angry or that I feel scared, or even just that, like, I just don't like that thing. I don't want that thing. Those are your inner signals. So that would be the most important thing. Start listening to your inner signals. What are they trying to tell you? What happens if you follow them? How do you feel afterward? I think that's definitely the most important thing.
1: Lauren, we like to challenge our listeners to try one thing at home over the next two weeks between podcast episodes So thinking about the things we've talked about today, what is one thing you would recommend our listeners try?
0: Uh, I would say to do my little experiment of when I was learning about marketing, I went to the library and I purposely checked out books that I was pretty sure I wouldn't like for whatever reason. Maybe I didn't like the guy's face on the cover. You know, maybe it was written by someone who I heard things about and I thought, oh, I wouldn't like that person. But go to the business shelves, go to the marketing shelves, go to the money shelves, go to the topics that you've never had interest in, but maybe you've always thought, well, I could probably benefit if I learned a little bit more. And check out three books that you think you wouldn't like and read them. Actually read them cover to cover. And then at the end, do another reevaluation. Say, you know, was my prediction true? Did I not like that book? Was it what I thought it was going to be? Did I not like it maybe for an entirely different reason? Um, but yeah, read books that you think you won't like and see what you feel about them afterwards.
2: That's a great piece of advice. I'm going to have to try that. On a personal note, what's the best book that you've ever
0: read? Wow. Well, I'm an extreme reader. So that's, that's like a really, really hard question. Uh, my all-time favorite book probably be The Brothers Karamazov um, by Dostoevsky. That's a book that's very personal to me, and I've read it over and over again. A uh, book that really changed me that is related to the experiment I just said is uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I used to work in a bookstore, and people would come in and say, you got to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's the business book I've ever read. And I would look at it and be like, I don't like that guy's face. He looks shallow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he looks materialistic. I'm sure I won't like this book. I won't tell Robert Kiyosaki though. it I read it and I was like, wow, this is great. I really like it a lot. I like the author a lot. You know, and it's, it's controversial. A lot of people don't like it, but I'm, I really loved it. It really changed the way I thought about money. So rich dad, poor dad is my like most recent favorite.
2: That's really funny. You said that. Cause when you're talking about, um, you know, just making time to write first thing, that's the book that popped into my mind because, uh, the author, I'm probably gonna mess his name up. Robert Kiyosaki says that you should pay yourself first. That's an important principle to take away. So that's kind of what it seemed like you were doing when you're making time to write first thing in the morning. Good book to, to
0: check out. hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, he's great. I love him.
1: Lauren, how can our listener learn more about you and what you do, including about your new
0: book? Uh, well, they can always go to my website. It's just my name, Lauren, L A U R E N, Sapala, S A P A L A dot com. Um, you can Google me and I'll come up Um, on a bunch of places. I'm on Twitter quite frequently. If someone wants to connect with me, they can always reach out on Twitter. My email is also on my website. It's writecitysf at gmail.com. And I really do answer all my emails. It might take me a few days. Like it might even take me a week. But if you email me, I'll get back to you. A lot of people email me just to talk about writing. Um, But yeah, so Google me or go to my website or shoot me an email. Find me on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook that much. That is one thing. If someone messages me on Facebook, it might be like Six months before I see it. So I'm not shunning people. I just, I'm not really ever on Facebook. So Twitter is probably the place to find me.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Lauren. We've really appreciated having you on the show.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. It was such an honor. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Introvert Dear podcast.
1: Make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on future episodes. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. And remember, There's nothing wrong with
0: being quiet and spending time alone.